Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease. We are back again for another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. Uh, super hyper excited um, to be speaking with our guest today. Uh, I'll get into that in a little bit, but I want to get to him first. Please welcome uh, from Exec Vision, the CEO. I don't know if you're considered a founder or a co-founder, but Steve Richard. They call me founder. I'm not actually the CEO, but go ahead. Okay. Well, Steve Richard is here. So Steve, what, what is your give some people some context you know I'll, I'll clean the toilets whatever it takes um yeah the uh exec vision was kind of born of another business called Voresight that that I originally founded which was born of uh being a corporate executive board if you want i can give you the backstory real quick sure yeah so so i'll give you the you know how did i get into sales because everyone's always curious to know that um i was i graduated from college and i had sixty thousand dollars in school loans uh, that I had to pay off. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And everyone that I went to college with, they all became investment bankers. Um, I went to investment banking interviews because I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. I went 0 for 22, couldn't get a job. Everybody I knew got a job there. Um, and, and then after that, someone's like, well, you should try sales. Uh, so I got a job at the corporate executive board, which is the, they were the authors of the challenger sale. That was like a godsend because that was just it's better to be lucky than good, right? For the first place you land. And I was doing what they called a marketing associate, but it was really an SDR job. Um, and my backup plan, if that didn't work out to pay off my school loans, was to work in the family septic tank business. So Richard Septic Systems in Northwest Corner of Connecticut, you can look it up. Torrington, Connecticut, Richard Septic Systems. It's was really that your summer job, by the way? Uh, Did you spend summers doing that? I, I, I spent a lot of time on the truck, not during the summers. I was a pool guy in the summer. I was a pool boy, literally. Oh, gotcha. He was Cabana boy. Uh, yeah, Cabana basically, boy. that's right. I cleaned pools. But, um, but like, I was going to work for the, my Uncle Jim. I mean, I didn't have anything else, and I had to start paying off those school loans. What, so was, I, your, what was your major, by the way, just out of curiosity? Undergrad, undergrad finance. Nothing okay, so it was still a business background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how do you go 0 for 22 in the interview process? Was it, was it, like, bad interviewing on your part, or were you just, like, not at all right for that kind of role, thank God? Yes and yes and yes. I mean, I think I think you use the right word at the end, which is like, I think it was actually God's way of telling me, don't do this. You're not going to be happy. Go do this instead. But I didn't know it at the time because yeah. um, I went five for five with the sales interviews and I got to pick which one I went to. And this was not knowing why I wanted to be in sales. I didn't have anybody in sales in my family, which is what most people have. They get in sales. Like they have like an uncle that's making money. They're like, what do they do? Well, they're in sales. Um, so then the, 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 the second part of the story was I get to corporate executive board and I was failing badly at first in this kind of pit of a hundred SDRs, what we call now SDRs. This was back in Oh two. So, you know, this is when everybody hid the fact that you were a salesperson by calling you a marketing associate. Yes. It was hilarious. Cause a lot of, they would hire a lot of people with marketing undergrad degrees. And, and then when they brought them in, they tell them, um, you know, you're going to be making cold calls and they're like, well, when are we doing graphic design? Like, graphic design. <laughs> the phones and call CIOs and CFOs and GCs and stuff. So uh, at first when I was failing, I had this Bud Fox Wall Street moment. <clears throat> I looked myself in the mirror and I was like, okay, if this doesn't work out, you're going to the septic tank business and joint. So figure it out. And that was kind of the turning point in my professional career because I, I, I went to the leaderboard. They had <clears throat> a woman who manually like put the names on the leaderboard. There was no ambition. And, and, I, and I saw the top five and I was like, they're my new best friends. And I sat with them. I just said, can I just observe what you do? Let me just watch you. Is that cool if I shadow you? They're like, yeah, sure. So I just sat there and I wrote everything down that they did. 
And then I observed the worst people too, because I wanted to see what the difference was. And there was a huge difference, massive. And I just did more of what the good people did and less of the stuff that I was doing that wasn't working. I was almost on a pip. I, I, love, I love the phrase you use, make those people my new best friends. I, I've been using that same phrase for God knows how long when people come into the, the companies that I've been working for and they're like, hey, how, how do I get really good? And I'm like, you see those couple people? Those should be your best friends. Like, don't make, in, don't make friends with anybody else. Like, do whatever you got to do to hang out with them. Yeah. And, there, and, and, and Scott, you know this, sorry, but you, you've seen this before. It's like, there are the salespeople who come in who immediately get in with like the wrong crowd yep. that are kind of yeah. hanging out outside the building. They tend to like always get like five coffees a day. They're smoking yep. outside. They're just confused. Right. It's like, stay away from them. Like stay with the yeah. people who are going to help you. I, I remember Scott paying people to, to not to quit smoking. I, oh yeah. I would put 100%. A bonus. Like if you quit smoking, I'll pay you X at the end of yeah. the month. In, in the thousands. In the yeah. thousands. Yes. So, hey, Steve, just out of curiosity, because this is back in 2002, right? And I'm just curious. Do you remember the, del the Delta? What was the difference between the good and the bad when you sort of went to sit and listen to the, to the good versus the bad? Massive. And, and you know, we, we built a, a sales prospecting training company on that that, you know, it, it, that it's been spun off. But, um, you know, things like, for example, one of the things they did is they divided prospecting into two things. They sort of built and cultivated a really, really good list of prospects that was super clean where they had some information about them. They had direct lines. They were really, really prepared. They were always finding new contacts, whereas they, the, the below average people just called the same names in the database we had been calling for five years. Like they had, it's like the bad people had these like horse blinders on. They didn't, they didn't see the bigger picture of what we were trying to accomplish, what the company was. And the good people were connecting dots in a way that other people just weren't. And when you did that, when you got someone on the phone, which is really hard to get a CIO on the phone, even then, uh, chief information officer, they, they were armed and prepared to have a good conversation. They had a hypothesis. They had prepared questions. They had researched what blogs they had written or art, what blogs didn't exist, but what press articles they were written about in, all that kind of stuff. It's night and day. Night and day. That, that's what I want to ask because, like, you know, 2002, I want to say Salesforce was maybe three years old, if I remember my history. So were you like in, you know, Lotus Siebel. Notes? Was an that? on-prem on Siebel CRM. If we want to do any work, we had to be in the office. Right. And, and where did the data come from? Because LinkedIn was around-ish, you know, but it wasn't like it is today. Done, done in Bradstreet, and it wasn't, being, it wasn't even being refreshed. So right. we, were on, we were on, it was really Hoover's. Right. So we were on, yeah, remember that? I mean, this is like, you know, it's yeah. like a, had a CRM at that point in time. I was going to say, Scott, Scott might have just been a senior in high school right around 2000. <laughs> wow. And yeah, actually, that was, that was one of my little innovations. So there are very few things I ever came up with on my own. Almost every, every bit of the success of my career from there, I founded Boresight, disappointment setting business from there, exact vision. But um, almost everything that was successful about my career, I learned from somebody else. The only thing I came up with is in this Siebel CRM on-prem, they had this field that no one used. And I used that to put little code words and the code words I put in there and they were like crazy like code words. Um, I knew that if I put that in that data field, I could query the database by the, on that field and then I could identify just the sub-segment of my list. So I was, I was doing things like um, being able to then segment like my list by area or by uh, time zone. 
for example, or segment my list based on people who had told us no for an appointment more than six months ago versus no for an appointment less than six months. Ago. All the things that modern sellers take for granted right now. Right. Yeah. Did you walk uphill both ways in the snow? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. No, but you know, it, it, it was actually a blast. It was a blast. And another one that I saw people do was um, don't work the standard nine to five. Like, I saw people come in and kind of just do like the, okay, I'm like in a factory. I like clock in, I clock out my nine to five. I'd come in at seven. The top people were coming in at seven and they were getting an appointment before anybody ever showed up. Yeah. So I'd come in at seven and have a meeting on the books before anybody's in the door. Then I check my emails. I hit my phone hard in the morning before the executive assistants were there. Yeah. I, I used to love that. I, my first sales job was in San Francisco Bay area and I'd get in the office at like six and, worked in the start until eight or eight 30. I can't remember which one for most people. And my whole goal was to like already have a deal on the books by the time everybody else got there. I, I, I wanted, I wanted that. I don't know. I, I wanted everybody to know, you know what I mean? I wanted you to already know. Show. Yeah. Now, now Scott, did you, I'm curious. Cause did, did you have a boss that was like, I, I cut out in the middle of the day, you know, I would go exercise in the middle of the day. At the time, I was a member of a boxing gym. Did you do have like a, a no. deal with your boss or nothing? You just worked. No, no, I, I I was there for you know twelve plus hours. There was none of, none of that. I wouldn't I wouldn't have had. First of all, the the organizations that I worked for had none of this like freedom, flexibility, work from home, take a two hour break, do whatever you want as long as you hit your numbers. It was like, hey, I really appreciate you going above and beyond, but don't you even think about leaving your desk between eight and five or whatever. It was Beast. much more like that. Yeah. East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've worked with Scott. Uh, for Scott. It, it's yeah. fun to say but that. I, I, I wonder, though, like, on some level, was it easier for us then than it is for people now? I had a lot less tools and a lot less things to, in theory, make me better, right? But I also didn't have to do all this busy work. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, I wonder. I wonder if... If yeah. I would go back in time, like, would I be as effective in my early days now dealing with all the technology and the tools that people have? Do you think that it's easier or harder for people to sell now versus, you know, in the early 2000s? There, there are two, two sides to that answer. One side of that answer is um, the macroeconomic climate for SDRs and people who are trying to get in the door. But we don't have to just talk about SDRs, but is because there are just so many more of them now. And it's so much more of a documented, you know, function within a company. It's definitely harder. And I can, I can, I can point to real data behind that to, to give you that answer, which is a lot of different appointment setting firms like Memory Blue, Market Source, By Appointment Only, many others are, are, are customers of our Execution platform. And they can kind of technically compete with Voresight, but we swap notes frequently on like, what do you see in dial to connect, connect to appointment, email rates, all that kind of stuff. And as a general rule of thumb, it is trending down over time. Yeah. Um, now on the flip side, if you look at the top people, the top people are still able to do stuff that everybody else can't do. So, uh, you know, like there are three personas of especially hunting salespeople. Persona number one is the, is the cowboys. The cowboys just shoot from the hip and ask questions later. There's just so much volume that sooner or later they can get to their number. The librarians are just really diligent researchers, um, but they don't have the volume, but they're very well informed. Uh, and, but the, the happy medium we see, we call them the sniper shooters. The sniper shooters have just enough research to be dangerous. You still see in every 
every sales organization that I that I've that I've have observed, 200 of them, there are at least one, if not more, sniper shooters that do more with less, leverage the tools around them much more effectively, masters of synthesizing information from different sources, masters of, you look at their workstation, it looks like a cockpit with three screens around it, and they're able to do things that kind of blow my mind. Like to your point, I don't know if I'd make it as, as well now as I did then. Yeah. What are, um, what, you know, growing up, did you ever have a sales job? You know, did you ever have, you were, you were just the cabana boy? <laughs> it was, so it was, uh, I, I cleaned a lot of people's swimming pools. I, I would, I was like ride the truck around, go to like people's houses and you know, I'm like the cool guy that shows up. <laughs> did you make, did you make the leap straight from uh, sales rep to CEO founder? Uh, yeah, good question. So at CEB, I went to one out of a hundred. Um, I broke the comp plan. They, for, for marketing associates, um, got promoted into quota carrying sales as did 10 of my colleagues, you know? Um, and, and I did that for about a year and, and then, then it then founded Boresight. So no, there really wasn't another. So what were, what were the, what were the ways that you learned how to be an effective manager and, and leader of people have, having skipped potentially having skipped some of the like traditional path, at least that sellers would follow, which would be like sales manager, VP, that kind of thing. Well, you make a big assumption there that I'm an effective manager. That's a, <laughs> a I am making that assumption. I'm giving you the credit. Uh, well, look, I mean, um, you know, I, I'll tell you what, so it was a little odd for me because pretty much all of the um, sales leadership know how I developed. I developed through, being on site and working with a lot of clients over the years, over 200, going to a lot of, uh, you know, industry events, uh, places like the AISP and the Topo events and those kinds of things. Um, and then, and then doing a lot of studying of it and reading of it. Um, I don't think I'm actually that good at sales management or sales leadership really. Um, although funny enough in my career, we've sold appointment setting services, training programs, and now, uh, conversation intelligence, uh, technology in a similar category with course and gone we've sold all this i've sold all this stuff to sales leaders but i don't actually don't think i'm that great of a sales i'm like, I'm like a better advisor to sales leaders i'm a sales leader myself and i think the reason for that is um this is going to sound awful but it's just the truth i kind of get bored of it uh and what i mean by that is like the the best sales leaders dimitri melhorn this old mentor of mine said this and he's so right he's like the best sales leaders are um it's monotonous, but they just keep going. And it's just a consistency of repetition that they have over and over and over and over and over. CRO means chief reminder officer, the inspection of the metrics, the, the, the hiring rhythms, the board reporting rhythms, all these rhythms are they're kind of monotonous to be honest, they really are. Yeah. Um, and I just, I've just never been as good at that. I'm more, I'm better at like advising people. Yeah. They, are extremely, they are extremely monotonous. And, and it's, it's funny because I've talked to so many sales reps we're like, oh, I don't want to be a rep anymore. I'm so tired of doing the same thing over and over and over. And I'm like, you think once you're a sales manager that that same thing won't happen? And then right. I have the conversation with sales managers who are like, oh, I'm tired of, you know, teaching these salespeople and like having these one-on-ones. Like, I, I wish I was a VP if I could do something different. And then it's like, well, wait a second. When you're a VP of sales, don't you think you do the same thing over and over and over? And every step of the way. Is there, is there a point where that stops? Do you do the same thing as a, as a CEO? 
Oh uh, yeah, yeah. As a founder, well, as a founder, but it's different. I'm kind of lucky and I'm kind of strange like that. My my business partners are CEO, so for me, I get to like he always gives me a hard time. He's like, you get to do the fun stuff. You know, you get to go work with the customers and the clients. You get to you know go speak at the conferences. You get to do stuff like we're doing right right now. Um, you know, going back to your point about the sales people though, that 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 drives me a little nuts because um, I think the the sales cycles and sales motions that you experience throw your curveballs every day. There's always something new to learn. Um, and the top salespeople, if the comp plan is structured correctly, the top salespeople in some cases will make or should make more money than the sales VP. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what it's supposed to look like. So you're supposed to incent people. A, a master of this is Kevin Gaither at ZipRecruiter. I'm sure you know where, where it's like, like I want, I want that person to be in the job because it's the perfect fit for who they are and what they want to do and what's in their bones, what's in their DNA, not because they think they're going to make some more money of it or they think they're going to be less bored or something. Yep. I totally agree. And Kevin, Kevin is a genius of it. He's a, he's, he plays chess at a very different level when it comes to sales leadership and management. And, uh, and he's one of those, he's also one of those people who's Scott, we should, we should have him on, but, uh, who's literally grown the company from a few hundred to a few thousand and survived as a sales leader, right? Like the company kept letting him take the, the risk and the initiative, which is also very unique and different. I think a lot. What do you think about the, um, the, the challenge that, you know, VPs of sales are getting, you know, pushed out in 19 months or 17 months. Like you, you've been around long enough to see it happen. Um, do you think that's going to shift? Do you, do you think that's going to start to kind of go, wait a minute, we got to bring in marketing on this because it can't all just be sales's fault. Like I see you nodding your head negatively. So what do you think? Oh, I, I good goodness. I hope this changes. I mean, I mean, let, let me, I'll kind of give you the, the lay of the land and, and Richard, you have the perspective of working with lots of companies too. So you see this, um, the lay of the land out there is you, when you're at 12 to 18 months, you just have it figured out. You're, and I'm seeing this with our own chief revenue officer, Scott Shaw at Exec Vision. We, hi, I, you know, we hired the CRO as my replacement so I could do the things we need to do to grow the company. He, he finally, we're finally at a point where he's about a year in where we're finishing each other's sentences and he gets it. He gets all of it. He gets our ideal customer profile. He gets why we win, why we lose, the competitive landscape, everything. He gets it. And then the idea that then he could be evaluated and judged at like month 18 is insane because once you're up that learning curve, it's probably going to take another 12 to 18 months before you have the chance to really like cash in on it, you know, and, and this, and this, and this revolving door that is the modern economy is nuts where, where everyone now is programmed to work two years at a company and then have your, or three and have your options fully vest and then go to the next one for two to three, then go to the next one. And I'm seeing a lot of people, especially in places like San Francisco, they treat their career almost like a VC, like they're building their portfolio of holdings because they say, well, heck, if I, if I work at seven places and, and, and I work in each of them for two or three years and fully vest, one of those seven is going to hit big. Guilty. True. <laughs> wow, that's Guilty. bullshit, man. I, I'm going to call, like, you, you, you were, how long were you at Outbound Engine for? A lot longer than that, weren't you? No, I was there for three years. Were you really? So I was like, at, look, I was at Qualia for three years, Outbound Ninja for three years, Main Street Hub for three years, right? And who's the guy going on surf trips? You. So maybe, maybe I messed up. As <laughs> yeah. far as to say, Scott, you know, Scott has a, has a habit, and I know this, of sometimes sabotaging himself around the third year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Now, no, th first of all, 
there, there are a lot of people I think who have, have gone about their career in the same way that, that I've tried and haven't pulled it off. And I, and I, and I think there's a lot of people. That would be me. That would be Richard. <laughs> a lot of people who try to do it too soon. I, th I think as, as well, you know, you, you've got to, and you go to it at the, at the wrong stage. Like every stage I go to Steve, there's like nothing. There's me, you and Richard and no reps, no program, no process, nothing. Right. And you know what it's like to get something off the ground. So when you do that for about three years and all of a sudden you're at 25 million ARR, there's a couple things that are happening in this modern kind of economy, right? You just grew the business like 700%, right? Over a couple of years. But this last year, the business grew at like 125% and you're starting to get kicked upside the head in the backside because, you know, we're a little worried you're slowing down and like it's not going fast enough. And you combine that with the regular exhaustion and then the looming threat of, of, of some other VP topping you Right. And so you reach this place, at least for me, this has been true where it's like, you know what? Fuck all that. Like, I don't need that noise. I don't need somebody staring above my head. And so, you know, I think maybe it's time for me to to move on. And, you know, I don't know that I'd recommend it for everybody, but that that's the way that mine has gone. But there's these outside factors have contributed to that. Right. This threat of being topped. Right. This specter of like, dude, your 110% growth is not good enough. That's the tough part. Right. Totally and, the, and, the, and the irony of all of it is in most cases when they bring in the next one, they, they underperform, but then they, again, they, they let them underperform they for 18 months and then they let them go. Yes. It's like, how much revenue did you lose yeah. because you're being short-sighted? Yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you another, another real quick example about this. And, and Richard, I think this will resonate, hopefully it will resonate with you, um, which is, I see people all the time that have a sales process methodology. And I mean like methodology with a capital M, uh, you know, like a force management or, you know, like you know, what you do, Richard, or, or they work with like company like the bridge group. There's so many different, you know, uh, Sandler Richardson, whatever. And, and they, and they'll do it. They'll have like a session and maybe they do a reinforcement on it. And then the next sales VP comes in, and they bring their own playbook, but they never stop to say, what are the pieces that are already resident here that are working? Like, what did Scott leave behind? Like, their, their mandate from the board in many cases is just like, wipe the slate clean and scorched earth and start over. What a silly thing to do. Why throw the baby out with the bathwater? I don't get it. So I wrote this article called Sales Training Programs or like World Religions. Like, all right, people, if you're going to contract with Richard Harris, Go in with Richard Harris and stick with Richard Harris for at least a few years because guess what? The first time he comes in, they're gonna, their brains are wired to forget. That's Our right. brains are wired to purge and forget information. It happens when we sleep. It's called the forgetting curve. It's a thing. You can look it up. It's not hard to find. Work with him consistently, repeatedly, every quarter for six, eight quarters, and then come back and tell me you want to make a change. And you're probably not because it's probably working. You know, it's like, it's like these people that shift exercise habits and diets and routines and they can never find the right mix. I'm boring. I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. naturally on my own and I go running. I do it every day. I eat more or less the same shit every day. And, and it's fine. It works for me. And I, never, I don't have to spend money on a gym. I, I, don't, I save 50 bucks a month that I would spend on the gym. That's me. That works for me. But you got to find what works for you. You got to be consistent. That's the magic word. Consistency and accountability. 
Now, organizations screw this up all the time. This, this happens with professional sports organizations all the time. You look at head, head football coaches, for example. They're out nowadays in, in a year. One year if you're in Cleveland. Right. Right. And the, and the upheaval, they're firing general managers. There's no stability at all. They bring in, you know, you see young quarterbacks. Like right? you spent $40 million to sign this rookie quarterback and you throw three to four offensive systems at them in the first three or four years. And then that quarterback is labeled a bust. Come on, man. That's ridiculous. Bam, you nailed it. And look at the Super Bowl and who we have as the two head coaches. Right. You know? And you know who got who gets it right? Like, you know, Andy Reid's made playoffs like 12 or 15 seasons or something crazy like that. Shanahan looks great. And and the Redskins are the epitome of what not to do. That's right. <laughs> I didn't want to name any names. Broncos are that bad too, right? Like I'm not happy. Right now, we, and I, I will be the first to say that LA has to go. He's just not a good GM. He just can't pull it together. So he's a good player. Controversial Denver Broncos. <laughs> what are you talking about? There's nothing controversial about it. It's like the, the, the record speaks for itself, Scott, as you like to say, right? Sure. And, but again, this goes back to because the two keywords, I, I even wrote an article about this. Uh, there was a blog called the – the two most important words in sales leadership. And it was the story of when I, when I founded Exec Vision um, from our Voresight business. And the first thing I did is I, I basically interviewed, it were more or less sales calls, but I was interviewing and doing deep discovery with 200 VPs of sales. And I was, I, was, I was trying to identify themes. And the theme I kept hearing was consistency, accountability, consistency, accountability. What's another word for consistency and accountability? You know, routine or, you know, monotony. Uh, but, but there, but there it is like the people who are the best at the consistency, the best at the accountability. And in the article, I talk about my, uh, my wife, cause we've got four kids ages four, six, eight, and 10. I can't believe one of them hasn't busted in here yet. Um, but, uh, she has this system with the kids. It's called the penny system that she picked up from one of her friends or some book or something where if they do something good, they get pennies. It's like a spot prize, but the pennies is not a, uh, it's a, a measuring stick for points. It's not like the currency of a penny. And when they hit a certain number of pennies, they can trade them in for different things like an ice cream or a, or a prize, which she puts like the prizes right next to the pennies. So they see like, if I get these pennies, I get the prize. This shit works. It, yes. it, it works in his consistency, his accountability again and again and again and again and again. What, what's it like having four daughters and, and being the only male figure? Like how much- I, I would think it to myself. There, I, I got one son. I got one son. Yeah, I went. Oh, you do? You have four daughters. Wait. Oh, you have four kids, three daughters. Three girls, one boy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All I right. Was to my, the whole time I was thinking to myself, well, the only reason this system works is because he has four girls. Right. That, That's what that, I'm thinking. I've tried this system with my two. Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. How many, Scott? How many boys? All boys? Two. Two. Two boys. Two boys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have <laughs> Steve. The the story is that Scott and I have boys. The within six months of each other on both sides. And so when our kids get together, it's really fun. And we all went to Costa Rica for a vacation and it makes, you know, you know what it's like when you can go with another family and they got kids, like it's instant baby self babysitting. Right. And that's where surf and sales even came from. Was Scott just sort of turned to me one day and goes, how come nobody comes here for something? Like, why don't we do this? And, and I said, okay. And Scott's always that idea guy. And then you kind of have to sort of, well, yeah, you're right. Let's do it. And that, so that's how this all started was our kids in all honesty. So I, I, I love it. And you know, that it's uh, I mean, the nautical theme was, this was just an accident. Right. Uh, but, but you know, maybe there's a lesson to be learned in sales of all this. Cause we find that too. So when we have all four, you know, just kind of interacting with each other, they tend to 
beat each other up, scrap with each other, and you know, people are crying and screaming. But when each of them has a friend, even though we have now eight children in our house, everything's easier. So and, much easier. Yeah, and, and it's kind of like, it's like I, you see that with mentoring systems that people put in place. You see that with people who are smart enough to hire in, hire in even numbers, hire in twos. Um, you know, don't, don't, hire, don't hire one person at a time. There, right. you know, because there's that camaraderie of being in the same place at the same point in your career. Totally, yeah. totally agree. What do you see? What do you see happening now? Right. So we we are at this world of the exec visions, right? Where you have this uh, sales intelligence that really gets deep and specific, almost to the point that you know, in a couple of years, you literally could script word for word, tone for tone, how the conversation should go. Uh, we're we're, we're, in, we're, in a we're in a danger zone now, guys. We're in a danger zone. Like. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, you got Westworld coming. Westworld, yeah, telling. yeah, and 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 we're we're at a point where too many people are zigging, and then and then all of a sudden, if you zag, you win. Um, and what you got to realize is that is that you know there's so much research coming. I mean, hell, we even put some out. We we put out some research about you shouldn't coach your low performing reps. You know, we we did it. We we did a it, you know looked really deep at at the data in our system across our hundred customers and and realized that. When, when you coach low-performing reps, their calls actually get a little worse over time, like by about one or 2%. You're like, wait a minute, how is that possible? It's because you should coach them on activity. But like you said, Westworld, it's like that, that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's dangerous. You know, yeah. so we're telling people, don't coach your low 20% on, on making your calls better. Coach them on doing more activity. Yeah. But because what? this is a self-fulfilling Not coaching on calls. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, like, so, so we looked at like, if, for people who have a call coaching routine and program to actually help reps change their behavior. And if you take the, your, your cohort of reps and you say, I've got my top 20% in terms of activity, not quota attainment, activity is what we were looking at. And then you're at your middle 60 and then your bottom 20. If you do call coaching for your top activity reps and your average activity reps, they get a lot better. Their calls get better, like by like 14% in the study. But if you um, if you coach the low activity reps, their calls actually get a little bit worse, which seems strange. It's like why would that be? But it's because they don't have enough at bats. Um, mm -hmm. But I tell you what, I was talking to um, this guy Mansoor, who's the CEO of Frontspin. And he said he was talking to a, a sales rep at an unnamed company. I'll leave unnamed, and and they were recording. You know, I record everything. But while they were recording, the rep was like on this very very specific path. And he said it was just very odd. It was an odd call. And then at one point, he asked that they turn off the recording. And he said, all of a sudden, this rep became normal again. They became human. We were having a real conversation. And, and the sales experience as a buyer was a hell of a lot better. It was a hell, hell of a lot better than when I had that when they had that on because he knew that the system was analyzing him for what he was saying and that kind of stuff. So even yeah. though I'm in this, you know, I'm like, I got my kids' college savings in this, in this category called conversation intelligence. I'm as nervous about it, and, and I'm equally nervous about sales cadences with what they're doing at places like Sales Loft, Outreach, Zant, Dial Source, et cetera. I love it, and at the same time, it scares the bejesus out of me. I think everything's going to look very strange in, in, in a few years compared to where it is now. And I think the only, the only thread that will carry us through all of it is the ability to, to – have effective messaging. Oh, Ken Krogh, who founded InsideSales.com, which is now Zant, he was a he was a mentor of mine, and he said the more and more we research 
buying and selling, the more and more we realize that it ultimately boils down to the message. So it, and that, and that message being human. That, yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. I, I just have one question. Because for, for those who are listening, what do you do with that bottom 20%? Don't do call coaching. I mean, literally, that's what our study with our data science team came you out and get said, rid of them or do you coach them different? Or just leave them alone? Let me, let, me, let me give you my take on this because I, I think that Steve's data speaks the, the truth, but I think too many people hear that and hear, don't coach the bottom 20%. Don't try to help them at all. And I don't think that that's the right answer. It's just don't call coach them. That's not what they need help on. The bottom 20% are the bottom 20% probably because of their belief systems and their habits and their mindset. It's a totally different thing that you work with them on. So what I would do with the bottom 20% is try my best to get to know them, get under their skin, figure out what makes them tick, figure out all the things that they're doing wrong mentally, right? And try slowly to, to affect some positive changes in those areas. And then the other things start to slowly take care of themselves. And I think that what's the part that worries me is, well, I think what I just talked about is like can, keeping the humanity in leadership and coaching. And I worry that all the data is just driving all of that humanity out. And everybody will just hear, just throw the bottom 20% away and they're, they're useless and nothing good will ever come of them, right? And there's a big distinction there, in my opinion. That's Amen. And I'll tell you what, there's a phrase that just gets tossed around way too much, which is, I am a data-driven sales leader, you know? And I talked to Trish Bertuzzi about this a little bit from the Bridge Group. I, it, it makes me want, I throw up in my mouth a little bit um, because, but there's a great part of it it's wonderful to make informed decisions based on data. Heck, when I first started in my sales career and I was failing, the only reason I started succeeding is by like A-B testing my crappy approach versus what the top people doing and then measuring it and then A-B testing again and measuring it, A-B testing again and measuring like that. I built a whole career on that. That's all good. But to your point, Scott, you know, these purely data-driven data sales leaders that are so proud of themselves by, about this stuff, you're, you're, you're missing the point. Yeah. I mean, you're missing the point of what sales is all about in the first place. Yeah, <clears throat> I totally agree. So we're, we're going to flip the script on you a little bit uh, to borrow a, a phrase from our friend, Beck Holland. Um, yeah. You know, I know Beck, I like her. I, I, she's wicked smart, super yes. smart. Um, how can we help you? What can we do to help Steve Richard? You know, um, what are you looking for that Scott and I could be of service to you? You, I don't know, man, that's, that, that's, that's a real, so I've, I've done this, um, I went on this mission about three, four years ago to create that call camp, which you were on, call camp webinar series, yeah. um, where, and, and we kind of put it on, on ice for a little while, but I think we're going to bring it back, where we break down real sales calls for what works and what doesn't. Since then, I've seen some other companies do it too, but up until that point, I'd never heard anyone do that. It was modeled after Gruden quarterback camp. There's this like unbelievable kick-ass library of um, webinars. They're all broken down by topic area, you know, like discovery or how to lead a cold call or objection handling or how to close the sale, like whatever. There's a lot of things with people like you being the guest coaches. It's free sales training. It's sitting out there on our website. Like go to our website, go to call camp on demand, watch, have your reps watch the thing. I guess, I guess the answer to my question, this is weird. It's not so much self-serving. It's more a question of like, like we put in the sweat to, do, to put that together. I just want as many people as possible to get better from that 
You yep. see that on my LinkedIn. I say like my goal in life is to have my professional goal is to help as many sales teams as possible become as, sec as successful as they possibly can. Because in, in the course of me doing that, I'm a big believer in the, the book, The Go-Giver. You know, in, in the course of me doing that, I'm going to get so much back and forth. And I have. I mean, I've gotten I an mean, unbelievable life that I never would have had if I had gone down different career paths, you know, that I should have been going down. So, so that's really it. Like, like, let's all just keep advancing our profession as, as trite as that sounds. Uh, yeah. Check out your call camps. Yeah. Happy to do it. Go if check you, it out. If you do bring any of those back, maybe uh, Richard and I can, can help with a new one. Or let's two. do it. Let's do it. I want to help you guys grow your set, uh, surf and, and uh, sales because I can't, I can't surf, but I want to get there at some point. My kids are a little bit older. I'm coming in. Yeah. Well, I, I actually had to stop. I stopped surfing for right now. So not everybody surfs. So, you know, a lot of people What's just. What's up with that? What's that? What's up with that? Uh, I have ear issues. So I have water getting in my head and all this stuff. But, you know, it's also sand in sails. Like you do get to sort of just chill. <laughs> You know, you, it's, it's almost as much fun watching people and encouraging people, seeing them learn to surf, like seeing them learn to, to sell. Like it really is fun when we bring these people who've never done it before and they get up on the first day and they're so excited and then they want to get up the next time. Like it's, it's pretty cool. So it's, uh, you don't have to be a surfer, but, uh, we'd well, we, can, we can also, we can also switch it around, Steve, and you can, you can be, a one of the people who helps us launch snow and sales since you just got done skiing earlier yes. today. That's more right, more up your alley, maybe. Right. 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 Right up my alley. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be getting dropped off by a helicopter in the top at the top of the Chugach range in Alaska in late April. So, I'll be on the, I'll be on the bunny. I'll be on the bunny hill dressed <laughs> like, dressed like the kid from Christmas story. Cause I can't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Steve. This has been fascinating. Um, love the insights, love the shares, love the knowledge. Everybody, please go check out Exec Vision. Uh, they're great at what they do. If you don't know Steve or you're just getting to know him, um, this is Steve on like level four. When you get him in live and in person, he's on like 10 and it's awesome. And he's massively motivating, even though he says he probably isn't. Um, he is so much fun to work with and, and we know what he's doing in Exec Vision and Voresight and all those places. So. Thanks, Steve, for coming on board. Talk to you, bud. Appreciate that. Take care, guys.